Appalachian Mountains have a storied history woven together by decades of people who've often and proudly lived on the fringes. Here, we're all a little unconventional in our own right. Fringe Appalachia exists to demystify the other, whether they be in our midst or outside of our comfort zones. From the old-timers still living off the grid to the snake handlers, halfbacks, and dreaded Southern Democrats, you're all welcome here on the fringes. My name is she Kirk, and I own a small local business called Foraged and Found Tours, where I take people out into the woods, and we forage wild edibles, and we come back to my outpost and cook them over an open fire so that everyone gets to experience identifying plants, processing them, and how we do that, cooking them, and what they taste like. Talk a little bit about your family of origin and kind of how you ended up here on Grassy Creek. (laughs) I moved um, to Boone, North Carolina when I was 12 years old. It was um, a very difficult point in my life. Um, I had experienced some abuse and family life was very hard at the time. And my mom decided we just needed to start over new. And she actually, this is the truth, closed her eyes and pointed to the map. And her finger landed on Boone, North Carolina. Lucky pick. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) And we started talking about it and started hearing all of these stories about Boone. And we were like, okay, this is a good choice. We're going to go for this and see what happens. And it was um, a difficult move for me at 12 to leave behind my friends and to have been in um, a junior high middle school and then find myself back into school with K through eight. Mm. Um, And just becoming, um, moving from a bigger place uh, to a small mountain town um, but I quickly realized that I th- believe that the reason we came to Boone was because, for me, um, that I needed that, that I needed the nature and these mountains um, to connect with and to find and discover myself and my power and my voice and feel like I am connected to something um, powerful and meaningful and it's these mountains that's beautiful that'll preach (laughs) (laughs) so I know this isn't one of my scripted questions but can you talk about what we're drinking because I just feel like it'd be so cool and like uh scene setting to know what we're having so she's gonna tell us what we're drinking (laughs) yes we are sitting in my little shop here and we have apothecary bottles filled with tinctures and elixirs and all kinds of things made from the magic of plants and we have a warm steaming mug of rishi coffee which i call the coffee of immortality Um, and it's made with rishi mushroom that i wild harvested on property that i own in green mountain and rishi mushroom is found growing on our dying hemlock trees the hemlock trees um, have something called woolly adelgid that's killing off our stands. And 
even though this is a very sad thing to see our trees disappearing, we're given this gift of this beautiful mushroom. Um, you've probably seen them in the woods if you walk out there. They're shiny red and they just look really otherworldly. And um, these um, in Chinese medicine are called uh, the mushroom of immortality. And it's an adaptogen, which means that it helps your body regulate all of its functions. Um, and it also just gives you this clarity of mind that um, I really enjoy taking it for. Like I take a drink a cup of Rishi coffee every day and um, I can really feel a difference that I'm perked up and it has this wonderful earthy flavor to it and just adds this richness to the coffee and it just seems very fitting in this little cottage shop. Yeah, and it tastes delicious. For the record, I also love how you committed to like the storytelling piece, like setting the whole scene. The commitment was great. <laughs> Thank you. And also very Appalachian, which is so much a storytelling culture. I feel like sometimes I um, shock people with how many stories I have to tell to communicate. Like if I have a point, I'm like, let me explain this point through a story. <laughs> like, so this one time when I was 12, <laughs> um, I just appreciated your commitment. Okay, so <laughs> I, I always do it all extra. Yeah, you know? I, I like it. I think extra is just enough. <laughs> I'm not from here. I wasn't born here. Um, but I definitely do believe that I'm connected to this place. I have a deep love and appreciation for it. Um, and that's really why I do what I do, is I want people to see the magic and the beauty and how special this place really is. Um, and I don't want to see tourists coming in here and trampling plants, not even opening their eyes to see them, um, knowing, you know, I want to show them how special these mountains are, that where the Smoky Mountains um, because those are the trees breathing out fresh oxygen, um, that these are the oldest mountains in the world, um, once taller than the Himalayas, and flora and fauna spread from our hollers um, in the last ice age, and that's why we see the diversity that we have that's so magical you can't see that anywhere else. And rather than seeing this as a place to come and conquer and climb the mountains and pick the plants, you know, I really want to show that this is such a special place and that it needs our respect and love and protection. And I think that there's also like a connection to the people here through that. Um, life isn't easy in the mountains. Our winters are long and hard. Um, they feel dark and cold. Um, and, you know, I, I lived off-grid for a year, and I can remember our house was way down in the holler, and some days it felt like we had two hours of sun that hit the house, you know, through the wintertime. And it was hard, and I think that there's, like, I, I always have this moment every spring when I'm out in the woods and looking at the ephemerals, the rare flowers that pop up before the tree canopies come in, and how brave they are to come out when it's still so cold and we still have frost and we still get snow. 
and there's no protection from the trees and these flowers just pop out anyway with this beauty and this strength and I'm constantly thinking about how Appalachian women are wildflowers that we are strong and we bloom despite the things that happen to us um, the hardships the cold the frost we know to just push out of the ground and bloom anyway and through all of this I just have developed this great connection to this place and that makes me feel like I belong here and that it's my home um, but I'm married into a longtime Watauga family the wards one of the first families of Watauga County um, and I definitely do see that it's different that I wasn't born here and I don't carry those stories with me. Mm -hmm. um, so it's, a, it's difficult, but I also think living in America, none of us are really on our home grounds. So I would love to hear about um, what Appalachian stereotypes you think exist and whether they are true or untrue. Yes. Oh. I think um, having this business here right off of the Blue Ridge Parkway where we know that many tourists are pulling off to get gas or supplies, they pass right by here. And um, one of the things that I hear a lot from people who are like, what is this weird little place and what's happening here? Is they're like, we're so excited to find a place that feels welcoming to queer people, people of mixed um, races and couples, you know. Um, and people do have this impression that it's very close-minded here. Mm. And it makes some people who are visiting the area a little nervous, actually. Um, and uh, I think that we are seeing a lot of people who, have gr who grew up in Appalachia mm -hmm. and have gone somewhere else either for school or jobs mm -hmm. um, are wanting to come back and they're bringing a lot of um, new open-mindedness mm -hmm. and acceptance for people mm -hmm. and I think that's a really exciting thing to see happening in Appalachia and that's been really neat. Um, being here and being sort of this beacon of weirdness as you <laughs> roll in off the parkway into Spruce Pine. Um, and that's been really exciting and really interesting to see the way that we're breaking those stereotypes for mm -hmm. people. Because um, here we did host the first um, Mitchell County Pride event last year, in 2020 in June. Um, and people from McDowell, Avery, Yancey, Mitchell, they traveled to come to it, and it was a lot of young people. And I think that that's important to make spaces for these younger people's voices in Appalachia because they're the next generation coming up. I think in a way that I became like sort of humbled. Um, I lived. I've had a lot of um, hardships in life, 
Um, and I think um, especially people who are um, poor or whatever, that's kind of the case for things. And there was this point I was, um, my marriage was ending and um, a lot of that had to do with that um, us, my stepson passed away unexpectedly when he was 18 in his sleep. Mm. And marriages have like a 10% survival rate after you go mm. through something like that. And we became part of that statistical number. Um, and um, when we were separating, things got pretty desperate and um, my oldest daughter and I needed to find a place to go kind of quickly. And we were stuck. And of course, it's hard to get help when you don't have a job. And I was a homesteading, stay-at-home mom for mm. eight years with nothing on my resume um, other than growing a big garden. And <laughs> um, I found myself um, needing to live with an old um, high school friend mm. um, on their family property um, off grid in a very old house that we heated with wood that we went and got from the forest and you know just that alone was a full-time job oh, I'm sure. and things were hard and we you know kicked it off at the end of fall making it through winter mm -hmm. for the first time living off grid and I saw a whole different side of kids that I went to school with that grew up like that mm -hmm. with heating gravity fed spring water and heating solely with wood and heating your bath water and it gave me a whole new respect mm -hmm. um, because I can remember that there were kids who lived like that when I was going to school here. Mm -hmm. And um, I wouldn't trade that experience for anything in the, in the world. And I think that living like that, um, you know, it really changed so much for me. Like I became so much more connected to the land of knowing when those pipes freeze and I have to go out to the spring house and carry in every drop of water that we use. I mean, and it's interesting too, like there are people who come here to voluntarily, you know, stretch themselves and live off the grid. And then there's also people who out of necessity don't have access to as many things. And it's mine. I, I work with a lot of people all over the country in my job. Um, and just talking about basic stats, like the median income here per person is like $25,000 a year, which blows people's minds. Like that's the average. Um, and so is everybody, you know, carrying water from the creek? No. But does some people have to? Like, yeah, they actually have to. <laughs> and so just that like, you know, difference between for some folks, it's like, yeah, we're going to go do that. We're going to go learn. It's going to be cool and for a lot of folks throughout the history of here it's like survival you know yeah and that is a, a big difference and um I keep thinking about you know what our average income is here and mm -hmm. then 
the average income of the tourists who travel here. Oh, yeah. Big difference. Yes. Just ask the property prices. (laughs) (laughs) They will tell the story. (laughs) And, you know, I mean, I feel like that's a difficult spot that I find myself in with what I'm doing Mm -hmm. is, yes, I want my community and my town and the people, my peers, I want us all to do well and and thrive. Mm-hmm. I want to see our town grow. But I also want to hold on to what we've got that makes us who we are. And yeah. I don't want to see the locals priced down on like the whole gentrification thing, mm-hmm. you know. Um, so I think it's really important to like hold the balance. And you know, that's part of that connection that I'm doing with the with the plants and the people like mm-hmm. these plants deserve our to be preserved and protected by us, but so do our people and their mm-hmm. stories and their ways of living. Yeah. And um, so I think it's, you know, always this thing where I'm looking at both sides, like mm-hmm. how do we make it so we can all thrive, but not make it so that we're kicking out our locals? Yeah. Yeah. For sure. I've, I keep saying this is such an interesting time to be here because. I joke that we're five years behind, right? So everybody stopped having video stores except for us um, and ours. And like, I can say this because I worked at Flick Video, like all through high school and through most of college, I would drive home on the weekends to work at Flick Video and like everybody else stopped having video stores long before us. Um, The trends even of high school students, like my husband worked down in Cleveland County, which is not that far from here. And he's like, the stuff that they were doing when I was there has just now caught up here. Like just by geography, by nature, we're kind of isolated and have been more so throughout history. But this is such an interesting time in Appalachian history because more people are coming here than ever. Like we are more visible than ever for the first time in my life when people ask where I'm from um, and I say between Boone and Asheville they know where both of those places are and it has not always been that way (laughs) you know so true and so um, that's kind of my goal too is like how um, how do we maintain this level of like Appalachian community and hospitality for new people because it does exist it's a little guarded at first it's not your typical southern hospitality um, it's not your stereotypical Southern hospitality. It definitely has its own, own nuances, but it's there. You know, the communities and the people really are genuinely good people. And so I, I wonder how do we bridge that gap, like be the people we are um, without becoming people that we're not because of external influence, you know? Like how do we maintain the good um, and also not be the bad? There is nothing like the way your Appalachian neighbors will share with you. Mm -hmm. There is nothing like that. And I am passionate about mutual aid and that we are here to help each other, you Mm -hmm. know. Um, And I think um, that's one of those things where it's like, um, it's a true Appalachian concept, this event we hold here once a month every third Sunday called the really really free market and the whole idea is that you bring what you don't want and take what you need Mm. and it's so funny because when people come there like well I I need to bring something to take something it's like no like it's all just really free whether you bring something or not yeah you can just take it (laughs) and it's really um you know, people, they kind of don't get it the first time. You know, they're like, what do you mean, really?
really free. What's the catch? You know? (laughs) (laughs) It's really free. But once they, like, see, okay, there isn't a catch. It's all just really about, like, we're hanging out here and sharing our stuff. Yeah. Um, The way the community steps up for that around Mm -hmm. here is amazing. That's cool. I've never been. I need to come. It's actually Sunday. Oh, sweet. Yeah. Okay, cool. We might swing by. It's really neat. We're doing, we're wrapping, I know you won't put this in there, but we're, 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 it's called the wrap your crap edition. So like some of us who always come, like. I am putting that. <laughs> I can't leave out wrap your crap. Of course I'm putting that in there. So like we're whack, wrapping up wacky stuff that are crap. Yeah. And addressing it to somebody, you know, like <laughs> making up who this person would be who wants a unicorn onesie or, you know. <laughs> oh, that's funny. <laughs> but I think that's like a thing, like, um, you know, the way neighbors share here. Mm-hmm. You know, I got three boxes of potatoes from my neighbors out in the Green Mountain property, so. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. People will share uh, very plentiful vegetables for sure. Everybody shares zucchini. And by share, I mean they pass it along to make it someone else's problem. (laughs) (laughs) Have you ever felt on the fringes of the culture that you live in and why? Or why not? For as long as I can remember. (laughs) (laughs) Believe it or not, most people say that. (laughs) And, you know, I think uh, for the most part, I've been okay with that and I think I've I've always found the other people like that too Mm -hmm. and that's not that hard here and you know I keep thinking about you know um how lucky I am that I grew up here Mm -hmm. and that I had the friends that I had growing up and most of us still talk to this day and if any of us called each other up and said I need some help, Mm. we'd be there. And that's just how it is, you know. Um, And I know so many other people from other places, and they don't have those friendships. Mm -hmm. And even though we were all even so different from each other back then, we just knew that we were different from other people, and Mm -hmm. we had each other. And it still had that. Appalachian determination Mm -hmm. to um, stick together and be there for each other. And I think, um, you know, that's just a beautiful thing to learn growing up here. We can make fun of, you know, Mm -hmm. our our own holler way of living, you know, but Mm -hmm. um, nobody else can. Same. (laughs) And sometimes, too, with, like, there are certain aspects, you know, now that our world's getting bigger and smaller all at once, and you hear about these Appalachian stereotypes, like you were talking about, of, like, closed-mindedness, and I've definitely experienced all that firsthand, probably participated in it plenty of times, I'm sure, and I find myself, too, because, like, these are my people. Um, When I hear these, like, overarching or generalizing comments that are like these people or that person is a bigot or hateful Um, I feel this immediate urge that's probably ingrained in me from being from here to be like whoa 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 do I agree with what they said no do you know them absolutely not (laughs) (laughs) they actually blah 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 like I feel this immediate urge to like 
defend people here even if I don't agree with them you know like it's that deep (laughs) so I'm like I can I can tell them maybe they should change how they say that you can't you may not (laughs) I do want to talk about two things that I think you will want to talk about which are some of the most popular plants that come from our area ginseng and ramps Um, so I would love to hear your commentary on those yes both of those plants are just so near and dear to my heart. Well, both of these plants are just such a big part of Appalachian culture. They're in our stories. They're in the history. Um, and it's very interesting. Like um, the ginseng. If you ask a lot of families that grew up here, they have a long history of going out into the woods and gathering it. And most of them, through the families, you know, they believe that because life was so hard here, that this was a gift from God to help them to survive and make it. Mm. And um, so families have been harvesting it for generations and generations. And... Um, it really is a very powerful medicine. Um, but unfortunately, we are finding that it has been over-harvested and is becoming more and more rare. Um, we are also have just some terrible practices um, because um, in Korea, they love our ginseng um, because we have mica in our dirt, and our mm-hmm. dirt is very rocky. So. Our ginseng grows all, you know, gets that man shape and all gnarly and in the cracks. Little pieces of mica will be stuck in there. And so when they display these man-looking roots with limbs (laughs) and twisted arms and everything, it's sparkling Mm -hmm. on the streets in this, like, market. And so they just love our ginseng. And... So what we're doing is we're shipping it all over there, Mm -hmm. and then it's being bought and processed, and we're buying it back. So that's like way a lot of waste of natural resources Mm -hmm. just on shipping and traveling with all of this. Growing up here, and these plants become like normal for us to see, and we don't realize how rare they are Mm -hmm. everywhere else. Yeah. Um, And... As I learned more and more about plants, I became involved in United Plant Savers. And there are a wonderful group of people. And I found a group in Tennessee. um, And it's called the Herb Hub through Appalachian Sustainable Development. And what um, I spent a couple of years doing is teaching people and encouraging people to start wild simulated ginseng growing on their property that um, if you can you know um, find a place where the ginseng wants to grow you can put the seed down leave it alone and even though you put the seed there it's still going to grow like wild Mm -hmm. ginseng does you're not prepping the beds you're not giving it extra nutrients you're just letting it do its thing because it really just grows so wonderfully here you know you let your plants grow you just leave them alone after about three years you can start harvesting the leaves mm. um, you just pick them you can send them to the herb hub they'll process them and they give you fair market value um, like it was wild grown mm-hmm. um, to encourage people to do the wild simulated 
Um, then at about five to seven years, you can start harvesting the root. The Herb Hub will also help to process all of that and sell it off for you and give you fair market value for it. Cool. So I've been encouraging people that if you want to see ginseng continue, that it's really important that we take these steps to get these plants growing and leave our wild plants alone to let them recover a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's been a very interesting conversation to start with local people mm-hmm. um, because they don't want to stop harvesting it. I love to go out looking for it. I don't pick it, um, but I just love to like see it and find it. It's mm-hmm. almost like this like mission. Scavenger you know? hunt. Yeah. We do that all the time. Just go out looking for it. Usually don't find it, but it's just fun. <laughs> <laughs> and when I do, sometimes I might eat a leaf or two, you know, just so it looks a little different, might hide it from somebody else <laughs> who's not has the best intentions as I do. <laughs> Um, or, you know, if there's berries on it, go ahead and pick them and put them in the ground. Mm -hmm. Um, that, you know, um, helps to keep them going too. Mm -hmm. That way the deers aren't eating it. We're putting them in a ground where we know they're going to grow. Um, so things like that, you know, I like to have these conversations with people like how do we tend wild patches and encourage them to grow, Mm -hmm. um, and keep them safe. And, um, there's, um, a woman, Lauren Cuisenberry, and she's a local Appalachian woman, and she's done a lot of work with talking to locals and changing the way we're approaching this plant mm-hmm. um, because we are seeing that these things will disappear if we don't yeah. consciously think about what we're mm-hmm. doing. Um, but it's been a beautiful opportunity. I love going with people. Um, and showing them mm-hmm. what's growing on their property. I encourage everybody, if you have land, to think about putting out some seed just to encourage these plants. And um, it can it can help people out. I say it's kind of like a retirement plan because, mm-hmm. you know, you, they need to grow for such a long period of time. Yeah. Um, but it's a great way that um, we can help ourselves and these plants mm-hmm. um, if we work consciously to to preserve them another big conversation is um about ramps and i love them there is nothing like taking that first ramp out of the ground and biting it fresh Mm -hmm. in the spring it's like you can feel the molecules inside your body like coming to life. Yep. <laughs> we call it we call it spring tonic in my house. Yes. Mm-hmm. And that's what I was going to get to is like it, it does actually have this tonic effect of waking up mm-hmm. your blood. Yep. But uh, again, we're seeing our ramp stands slowly deteriorating. Mm-hmm. And the way that I explain it to people, um, I do, um, a, this past year I did a ramp hike for people on um, the property of some local people, a longtime family in the Yancey mm-hmm. County area, um, and they have huge amounts of ramps on their property and always have. Mm-hmm. Um, but even, you know, people with these huge amounts, they're seeing less and less mm-hmm. um, because it's really important to talk about the life cycle of a ramp mm-hmm. and that 
they're not just a normal onion. They're actually like in the lily family. Mm. And they um, have this long life cycle. So if you plant a ramp seed, it's going to take at least two years for that seed to send up a shoot. Mm -hmm. They usually, they're just like ginseng and they like um, a dormant year. They go through two cold cycles. And then it takes about another five years for that plant to flower, which means that it takes five years for that plant to produce another seed. Mm. That can then be dropped into the ground. That will then take another two years. So that being said, when we are pulling up the bulb mm -hmm. and the whole um, ramp from the ground, we don't know how old that ramp is. It mm -hmm. may only be three years old. It may be seven years old and ready to flower and send out more seed. Um, you can look, and if it has three leaves, it usually means it's an older one and mm -hmm. that it may flower that year. Um, so what I encourage people to do is to cut them off at the ground level and leave the bulb um, because the bulb will send back up new leaves, mm. um, and that bulb is still the same amount of years old in there. And even better yet, if we just take a leaf off of every plant that we see, mm -hmm. um, that's also going to help. We're leaving the bulb and everything. And in all honesty, the, the leaf part actually has more of the ramp flavor than the bulb does. The bulb is a little sweeter. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. Um, which is what people like about that. And, yep. that. and of course, I tell people, you know, if it, these ramps are on your property, the way you want to harvest them is up to you. But mm -hmm. if you're going to a public space and that there are ramps there, yeah. we need to be more mindful. Um, because with such a long cycle for them mm -hmm. to reproduce, when we're just pulling them out of the ground, they're going to disappear. They can't reestablish themselves fast enough. Mm -hmm. um, so that's one of the really important things. I like to, I make an amazing ramp pesto out of just the leaves, and mm. I love to, like, have people taste it and say, you know, there's no bulbs in there at all. Yeah. <laughs> this is just the leaves. Cool. And, um, you know, another thing that we can do to help ramps is when you see people selling them on the side of the road, mm -hmm. um, one of the things that I do is I stop every time. I buy two bundles, and any that still have the bulbs, mm -hmm. I replant on my property. Mm -hmm. um, and I've established um, over two years, there's a pretty good patch yeah. going from just sticking them back in there. Mm -hmm. um, and um, that's just a nice way that I know where I have my spot of ramps to go to. So yeah. I, like, really try to encourage people, like, if you like ramps, mm -hmm. you know, you, this is something you can do so you have your own patch on your property to harvest from yeah and to just be respectful and mindful of the um the public spaces where they are mm -hmm. um and having them there for other people to experience um because yeah. I, I don't want to imagine a world where there are no ramps in the spring yeah you know um again that hunt and for mm -hmm. ranch lettuce and mm, yeah for that kilt salad oh <laughs> Oh, yeah. <laughs> I haven't thought about that in a while. That actually sounds really good. Another big thank you to our guest today. 
Y'all come back next time for more Appalachian anecdotes and insights, and we'll see you later.